Hey, everybody. If you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at uh, Alabama Politics this week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, what, what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or you know, whatever, whatever your question may be. Uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections? Uh, shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. Welcome back to Alabama Politics This Week. Uh, David Person, along with Josh Moon, of course. And uh, we are pleased to have with us, and I said we, and we are. We, Josh, and I both are. But I'm especially pleased to have with us one of my oldest, dearest friends, Chief Kenneth Scott. And uh, Ken and I grew up together in Chicago. We've known each other just about all of our lives. Uh, and uh, and went to the same church, same school, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm very proud of Ken because he has had an illustrious uh, professional career uh, as uh, in law enforcement. Well, he started in the Marines, uh, but he went from the Marines into law enforcement, and he has been the chief of police for a number of entities uh, and municipalities. His his resume is actually kind of long. I don't want to read it all. But he's been the chief of police for uh, cities in the state of Maryland and South Dakota. He's been a security director for the FCC in, in Washington, D.C., a security consultant also up there. He currently is the chief of public safety for the Superdome and Smoothie King Center in New Orleans. So that means he ultimately helps to protect the uh, the New Orleans Saints, the NBA uh, uh, Pelicans, and also all of the fans and people that, that work in those facilities. Ken, that's a lot of policing, man. That's a lot of policing, year-round <laughs> policing, too. Uh, welcome, is. man. Welcome. Glad to have you with us. Thank you. I'm glad to uh, glad to be here. Glad to be able to participate. And uh, uh, throughout the years, it's always been a joy to be on your program because you handled me with kid gloves. I've heard you handle other people, and uh, <laughs> I've been there when the gloves have come off, and I'm just like, Dave, please, please keep the gloves on. I always consider you a big brother, and big brothers always give little brothers big uh, beatdowns. But you've been uh, gracious with me, and uh, I definitely appreciate that uh, as well. Hey, well, hey, before before we go far, uh, South Dakota, you you're a yeah, police you chief know, in South Dakota. Man, let me tell you. So let me tell you. I, I tell people this all the time. If I had a son who was ill, he had Crohn's disease back in D.C. If he had, if he was not ill, I would still be the chief in Madison, South Dakota. When I tell you, uh, it's it's kind of like God's country out there, man. When 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 you think about it, yeah, uh, God's but, the only one there. I was only one there, man. I'm telling you, it was a hey, look, it was an experience. Let me tell you the difference, real quick. I'll tell you the difference. So, I was the chief of there, and then I then after that, I was the chief in Capitol Heights, Maryland. 
um, the chief in South, being the chief in South Dakota, I could go to the city council and I could say, hey, I need four new tires on five of my units. Not a problem, chief. Sign off on it. Boom. Go get your tires. Capitol Heights, Maryland. Totally different. Man, I had to fight for every hubcap, okay? Fight for every hubcap. So, you know, uh, the reception was different. The policing was different. Uh, but I kind of enjoyed it because, you know, both experiences, because it kind of gave, it kind of rounded me out uh, uh, in my police. You know, it kind of gave me a different perspective of, of how people view police and, and administrations and police management. So, yeah, South Dakota, man, it was, it was, a, it was a great gig. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we wanted to have you on because uh, you have, I think, been unusual among uh, serving police chiefs in that you actually, as a black man, you t- you have made it a point, uh, Josh, and I, I think I may have forgotten to tell you this, but Ken, out of his own pocket, has traveled the country talking to uh, groups of young black people about how to uh, survive their encounters with the police. And I've sat through a couple of those presentations. He did, in fact, he's, he's done a couple here in Huntsville. And um, his, his perspective, I think, is, is very truly fair and balanced in that he gives insight into the mindset of police. And he also acknowledges the challenges of of being black and dealing with the police while also, uh, you know, uh, uh, trying to help young people to understand that if they want to survive those encounters, there's certain ways they've got to do it. And I've also heard Ken be critical of policing in situations. So we wanted to have Ken on because he's 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 true blue law enforcement, but he also does not forget that he's a black man and with black children and with the responsibility to uh, to both communities, the policing community and and the community at large. So, Ken, we want to talk to you about these um, these incidents that have been happening around the country. And of course, we've had our own set of incidents here. Let's start with the most recent one. Uh, A 22 year old man, uh, Kamante Hobbs, uh, was. uh, was believed to have been panhandling at a at a, a gas station store here in Huntsville. Uh, he gets into and this you know some of this is on video. He gets into uh, a situation where he and a police officer are on the floor. Apparently, the police officer is trying to apprehend him, take him under arrest. Some other officers come in. One officer in particular. Immediately, he comes into frame, and two seconds later, he's stomping on Mr. Hobbs's leg in a way that many of us have found profoundly disturbing. I know you've seen the video. I know you're apprised, you know, at least of the media reporting about this situation. As a professional law enforcement officer, what was your reaction to that video? Yeah. You know, uh, you and I talked about this, and one of the things, a couple of things that I kind of found uh, that, that came to mind, um, and being familiar with Huntsville, having you know family that lives there, I have a vested interest in, in, in Huntsville. And so when I when I saw the video, a couple of things came to mind. 
One was what was the purpose of an officer getting there, stomping on a person, and 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 as he stomped on the person, I, you know, I looked in it, and and he was saying, "Stop resisting arrest! Stop resisting!" And then he, after that, he just kind of stood by without even assisting within the arrest. So, for one, what part of my question is, what part of your training uh, can you can you refer back to? to say that was part of your training in uh, making a lawful arrest. It's coming in, stomping on someone, and then just standing by, not even assisting with the actual handcuffing or trying to get the person's hand behind their back. And another thing that was kind of glaring to me, and this is why I asked about the demographics of, of Huntsville, knowing that it's growing, knowing that it's ever-changing, definitely changed as I was there back in 1985. I'm there just about every year, so I kind of you know have a very... Uh, a good uh, uh, perspective of, of how Huntsville has grown and has changed. Um, you have an incident that I believe you said took place pretty much near the heart of the city or in, in, in the city. Right. And you have right. about seven officers, all seven officers that responded were white. So, uh, you know, to me, that has a, a, a telling impact on either the assignment of officers, uh, there's an issue there or there's an issue with your actual officers um, not having enough diversity within your agency to represent the community that you serve. Uh, we talked about, I think we came up with about 40% minority uh, demographics in Huntsville. Yeah, so, all together, yeah. People all together, come. right, all together. Mm -hmm. all, you know, the, the, the everyone Asians and, and, and Blacks and the entire, you know, that, that entire community. Um, so why was there not someone who represented that guy who was on the floor who looked like him, who could empathize with him, uh, who could probably possibly intervene, uh, hopefully intervene and not let this happen? Um, that's an issue. And why why was this officer so comfortable in coming um, along among his fellow officers and actually stomping on someone? with that level of comfort where it didn't even bother him and it didn't seem to bother any other officer as well. So those are the, the, the glaring to me, those are some of the glaring questions that I would have if I were investigating that incident. Uh, so, and those questions are hard questions that need to be asked and answered, uh, not only of that officer, but of the training, but of the management of the, the, and the supervision uh, within that agency. Um, this is not a one-off. You know, right. apparently this this seems appears to be uh, something that is uh, acceptable within the agency. I can recall day back when Rodney King incident happened and I saw the video. And one of my first questions, I think I told you before, one of my first questions was, what, what was the problem? Because my agency and my agency, that was what happened. If you ran from the police, you got a wood shampoo. So when the Rodney King happened, you know. And, and that went back to the training that I had from Prince George's County. You know, Prince George's County Police Department, the agency I came up with, was uh, counted as one of the most brutal agencies in, in the nation at the time. So it goes back to uh, you were comfortable enough to stomp on someone without even thinking about what type of repercussions. And also, no one seemed to be surprised by your actions. Right. Uh, so that's my initial take on that on that incident. So I'm going to ask you one other question before Josh comes in with his questions. You you referenced or, or alluded to your evolution, 
you know, your evolution from the training that you'd gotten in Prince George's County, Maryland, the mindset you had back then. And then, and then of course, with the questions you're asking now, it's obvious that your thinking has evolved tremendously from, from the, the training you'd gotten in Prince George's County. Uh, Explain to people how you evolved as a police officer or as a as a as a police officer and police chief in your thinking and why. So, you know, it's um, when you when you go from um, one of the boys um, on a, a police agency, when you make that transition into a supervisory role, um, you know, a lot of people like to think, hey, yeah, I'm still one of the boys, uh, but you're not. <laughs> you're not one of the boys. If you continue with the mindset of being one of the boys, you will be one of the most unsuccessful supervisors in the history of supervision because uh, you, you, there, there's just no way that you can continue to do that uh, and maintain discipline. And that comes from my military training. That comes from being a police department. However, once you assume a head of an agency as a chief, particularly because that's my, that's my experience. Um, you no longer have that uh, ability to turn a blind eye to wrongs that happen within your agency or law enforcement at all. Uh, you have to evolve to the point where you have to be able to put yourself in a citizen role and a citizen view of how your citizens that you serve view your agency. You have to, um, in order to be successful, I believe that you have to be uh, truthful. Uh, you have to acknowledge that there are concerns, that there are issues within your agency. Failure to do that uh, will put you in the position that I believe that, um, I'm not pointing fingers, but there's someone who is in your local jurisdictions um, who has recently made comments uh, that, in, in my mind, almost support and uphold wrongdoing. Um, and, and you cannot have that, uh, even if that is your gut feeling or if that's how you feel, those thoughts, because of your position, your thoughts, you cannot relay those thoughts to the public because it, and, and it's, and, and I know this kind of goes off topic of what you what you asked me, but in that situation, I must address this. Um, one of the glaring things with that incident is, so, as a police officer, a police chief, or police manager, you believe that the arrests that your officers make and that are adjudicated and that a jury finds them, uh, the people guilty that you arrest, those are good arrests. The jury made a good decision in convictions. However, one of your own does something and a jury uh, uh, comes back with a conviction, then all of a sudden the system is broken. It's not a good, it's not, it was not a good decision. You can't have 99% uh, one way and 1% the other way. Uh, so, you know, my, my evolution, uh, and there were years ago who I, I might have sided with that officers. Man, you know, he did, he did the right thing. He got there, he saw it, he took care of the situation. However, you have to have a 30,000-foot view versus a very narrow view when you uh, assume uh, a head of agencies. No, um and I think it kind of goes on what you're what you're talking about here, um, and 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 in kind of uh, you know addressing these situations that that happen. Uh, I think I think one of my biggest problems because I, I I don't have a, a problem with police. 
you know, I don't, you know, I'm, listen, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a white man. I've grown up my whole life where if I, I had trouble, I called the police, you know, and it never, you know, I, listen, I, I fully appreciate, uh, what, you know, what David has gone through and what uh, of so many of, of my black friends have gone through in their lives and what they've experienced in the, and the conversations they've had to have with their kids that I'll never have with my daughter, you know? And so, um, but I think what, what bothers me most is, uh, I mean, certainly the acts that some of the acts that we've seen from police officers uh, that have they've gotten themselves in trouble, even been convicted, those, those acts bother me. But what bothers me more is um, the I guess kind of the, the code uh, among police officers that prevents, I, I guess, you know, to simplify it, good officers from calling out bad officers um, and then in some cases even covering up for bad officers. So. And it seems to be prevalent all across the country. And listen, I understand that you're wanting to stick together and you've got to be brothers and you've got to have this trust there uh, amongst you because you're doing a, an incredibly difficult job in, in very dangerous situations. I get that. Uh, but how do you how do you break that to 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 kind of weed out those guys? Because we all know there, there's some guys that just shouldn't be police officers. All right. Uh, so how do you. How do you break that and, and and set up a system where it's okay for these guys to say this dude should not be doing this and we've got to stop this? Yeah, you know that is something that is has been uh, is systematic. It, it is something um, I kind of use this example, Josh. Um, so Officer Ken and Officer Josh uh, go on a, a, a call mm-hmm. um, and. Officer Josh does something inappropriate. That sounds right. So, that sounds right. <laughs> um, they come and ask Officer Ken about the incident. And I say, hey, yeah, Officer Josh did that. He's guilty. I saw him do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we go on about our lives. Officer Ken at 1.30 in the morning makes a traffic stop um, by himself. Um, there might be officers that might be hesitant to come and back officer cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, why? Because they know that if something goes wrong or something goes bad, officer Ken's not going to support it. Mm-hmm. So officer Ken has to make a decision. Do I put myself in that position mm-hmm. where my life could be on the line uh, for that? And it might sound very like a television or my no, time, but it's no. real life, yeah. <laughs> you know, th- th- these are real life decisions that you have to make. So now I'm branded because I went to internal affairs and I told exactly what happened. And officer Josh got fired. Now officer Josh has a family, has a brand new baby, just bought a house, got a car. Now he's out of a job and the rest of my uh, coworkers are looking at me as, as the one to snitch mm-hmm. now. So how do we, go about breaking um, up that thin blue line and that code of silence that we have, uh, knowing that a lot of times that thin blue line is what, uh, and I'll give you an example. I had an officer who I worked with, I couldn't stand his guts. I mean, I wouldn't spit on him if he was on fire. I really would. All right. Um, however, um, if he called out in need of help, we call signal 13. If he called out where an officer in distress, I'm coming. Mm-hmm. I'm coming. I'm coming full speed. I'm going to get there. We're going to take care of whatever situation. I'm going to make sure that he's okay. 
After that, I'm going to spit on them <laughs> and <let them> walk <laughs> away. Okay. Uh, you know, but that's just a mentality right. that police have towards other police officers. Uh, and, all, and one of the things I think that that can help is um, an, an old officer told me when I was a young officer, they said, Ken, make sure that you have people who are friends outside of police work. Don't always hang at the lodge. Don't always go fishing with only police. Don't always have police at your house grilling because you develop an us against them mentality. You need to stay grounded in your community. Another way to do that is, you know, just like I appreciate David and my friends. To David and my friends, I'm Ken. That's what they know me as, not Chief Sky. So, you know, it gives me that, it, that it keeps me grounded. I think a lot of officers develop that us against men, them mentality, and it's tough to break. So to answer your long, a, a long answer to a short question is, that is something that is systematic. That is something that I, I don't believe will probably change in our lifetime. Um, but there are some officers who are breaking ranks now because they see what is going on within the community and their conscience will not allow them to continue to see things happen in the police world and just let it go. Yeah, I was, I, and I guess, you know, I, I understand yeah, that. I mean, and, and I, I know that it's, um, you know, you, you have to. Uh, you have to have that trust and you have to have those bonds there. I, I just I, I just wonder if there was a there's a way to uh, to incentivize that, you know, to to incentivize. Hey, you know, and, and to focus on because you, you it sounds I'll tell you this. It, it sounds weird to me to hear a police officer say, well, this guy that does did wrong. It man, he's got a family and a kids and, you know, and, and now he's going to lose that because he did the wrong thing. And the people who are upholding the law is the, you know, is the reason for that, even though that's what they do on a daily basis. You know, it just it, it, the, the kind of, I guess, cognitive dissonance it, it's, it's required there is, is a little uh, a little hard to take sometimes. But is there a way to to incentivize that in some manner to, to make sure that police officers are even if it's you know, I don't even know what the system would be an anonymous system or something to make sure that those things happen? Yeah. And, and you just mentioned something that 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 is great that officers have. Um, and a lot of agencies, a lot of large agencies have it. You can report something in, anonymously. Um, yeah. You know, you can say, hey, look, this happened. I'm not going to give my name, but I believe you need to look into A, B or C. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like I, I sit on the Crime Stoppers board here for Greater New Orleans. And, you know, we have a system where you can call in. I give you a number. You know, and 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 if the person is convicted and, 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 and or whatever, you get a monetary reward for that. You know, those are those are things that could possibly uh, be implemented. Uh, I know, like I said, there 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 are complaint lines within a lot of larger agencies. The smaller agencies might not have them, but I do believe that that needs to. You you have to have something uh, a reporting system where officers not immediately. Um, Identified. I know it sounds crazy. It's like you said. You know, we're upholding the law, but we're scared of we're scared to enforce the law among <laughs> ourselves. It sounds crazy, uh, but I'm just speaking true life here. You know, uh, I sure. in an ideal world, in an ideal yeah. world, oh, that would be wonderful. Uh, but true life, there needs has to be some sort of reporting system uh, where that officer does not feel there'll be any backlash, uh, whether it, it be among his officers or among 
uh, the supervisors or the management, and they can report these things that are going on. And, and I'll tell you, let me tell you what's interesting, Josh. Uh, I remember being a street officer. Everybody on the squad knew how everybody else policed. Mm-hmm. I knew on my squad, I'm not going to call any names, but I know to this day on my squad, I had people on my squad that were brutal, brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and I knew that they were brutal. And you always hear them, you know, on the radio saying we're going 1015, which is escort to PGH, to Prince George's Hospital. So you couldn't just make a regular arrest and go straight to jail. Every time this cat made an arrest, he's going mm-hmm. to the hospital. Well, mm-hmm. why, why are your arrests that way? But we knew. So you know who on your squad and you also know who makes bogus arrests. You know, we used to call them humming people. You just you're really going to lock that person up for having, you know, that much marijuana, you know, very mm-hmm. small. I mean, come on now. You know, those type of we call them hummers. You're just trying to pad your stats. Uh, and everyone knows how everyone polices on, on their squad if they've been along enough. So right. people, you know that, and and weeding those people out has been. If someone could come up with a system to weed those people out, you'll be a multimillionaire. Ken, that's a good note to end on. Uh, we have run out of time. Uh, I really appreciate you joining us today. Your voice lends credibility to uh, this concern we have about the culture of policing. And I want to thank you for for being a good police chief mm-hmm. and one who who really wants this thing to work out for the benefit of everybody. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank, thank you again you. for having me. It's no problem, Josh. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, I wish all, all the best for Huntsville because, like I said, I had that vested interest there. And uh, hopefully you guys can get over this hump uh, and, and move forward and, and, and get things back on the right track. All right. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Kim. You're yeah, welcome, man. guys. Yeah. I mean, that's that's great. He was. Uh, that's. Uh, I wish if we could if we could duplicate Kim, man, in every police department around the world. We imagine how much better things would be. A whole right. lot better. Yeah. A whole lot better. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's. Uh, let's slide out of here. Uh, we'll come back and wrap this thing up in just a few minutes. It's Alabama politics this week. Hey, everybody, if you wouldn't mind, uh, go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice rating and review, or maybe not even a nice one, just a rating and a review. Uh, just let us know what you think about the podcast. And uh, we've gotten to where we read some of these reviews on the air because some of them are uh, pretty funny and uh, clever. So be funny, clever, and you'll get your uh, review read on the air. And uh, the rating helps us out a little bit as well. So if you don't mind, leave us a nice rating and a review or terrible rating and a review, whatever you'd like to do. However you feel about the podcast, we appreciate your, your input. And uh, thanks for listening as always.